Okay, good morning, friends. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we pray for an openness to your message for us. I pray for my faithfulness to your word. Listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me just make sure that this thing is working. Okay. Okay, great. Okay, last week, Pastor Ronald, uh, he, he preached from John chapter 3, and he talked about how we discern the kingdom of God and how no one enters the kingdom of God without God's grace, how it's all initiated by God. Today, we are looking a few chapters ahead at John chapter 5. And the big idea for today, for us as disciples of Jesus, is that every disciple should lean on the Father as Jesus did. As disciples of Jesus Christ, all of us should lean on the Father as Jesus did. We follow His example. Now, in order to truly examine this aspect of Jesus leaning on the Father, uh, basically being dependent on the Father, we will need to look at other New Testament passages. So we're not just you know, sticking to John chapter 5 and doing a straightforward uh, expository of John chapter 5. We're going to jump a bit all around the New Testament. But before we can even go into this topic of Jesus depending on the Father, uh, we just need to establish two quick things so that this Jesus' dependence on the Father is a bit more relevant to us. Okay, so I need to establish two things. So introduction is a little longer today, uh, but I, I hope you, you pay attention and follow along because it's important. The first thing is that Jesus is fully God. Okay, Jesus is fully God. Uh, he is not a half God. He is not a, a man who became, uh, started getting godly powers, that sort of thing. He is fully God. Okay, so before we can look at how Jesus depended on the Father, we cannot ignore, we cannot forget that Jesus was fully God and He's part of the Trinity. Okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is part of the divine Trinity. Now, we're not going to go in-depth into this whole area of Jesus' divinity, the fact that He's fully God, but I just want us to acknowledge this fact, that Jesus is fully God, okay? And the rest of what we're going to look at today is not contradicting this. We are not contradicting the fact that Jesus is fully God. In fact, the, the context of today's passage in John chapter 5 is Jesus making claims to be equal with the Father, but at the same time, Jesus is fully man. He is fully human, okay? So we need to focus a bit more on this today. So He is fully God. He is at the same time fully man. The humanity of Jesus is what makes Jesus' dependence on the Father relevant for us. If Jesus was not fully human, how Jesus depended on the Father has you know, it's not really relevant to us. It has not much to do with us because we can just point at Him and say, you know, what's He got to do with me? He's God. Uh, I'm not God, right? But because Jesus is fully man, we can look at how He interacted with the Father and say, okay, He is fully man. I am also fully man. You are fully man and women. Uh, and 
we can follow his example in terms of how he interacted with the Father. And so, Jesus' humanity is a core part of Christian teaching. It is confirmed time and time again throughout the Bible. Jesus had physical experiences of... Uh, he, he had uh, physical experiences of humanity. He experienced hunger. Okay? He got hungry. Uh, he got thirsty. He got tired. He died. Uh, and I'm pretty sure as a kid, he also fell down. He scratched his leg. Uh, he got stomach aches. He went to the toilet. You know, all that. He is... Uh, he was fully human. He had human experiences. He didn't just have these physical experiences. He also had emotional experiences of humanity. The Bible has accounts of him being moved by compassion, showing sorrow, righteous anger, frustration, anguish, the emotions that we feel as well. Jesus also experienced temptation. Not something that we focus on a lot because we, you know, we, we package it into, he, he spent uh, some, some days in the wilderness, 40 days in the wilderness, he faced temptation. After that, you know, we, it, it goes out of the story. And so, but the fact is, Jesus did experience temptation. The full range of temptation. Materialism, uh, the, the love and desire for material things. Hedonism, the desire for pleasure. And egoism, the desire to elevate yourself and, and pride. Or in the words of 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Jesus faced temptations in all those areas as well during his temptations in the wilderness. The only experience that Jesus did not share with us is in the giving in to a temptation and actually sinning against God. That's the one thing that he did not share with us as humanity. He managed to resist the, the world and the devil throughout his 33 years on earth. And so, even though Jesus was fully God, he was fully man, and he went through human experiences like us. And so, because he is fully man, his earthly life of walking around on this earth and living life on this earth as a full human is a model for us to follow. And so this is absolutely essential for us to get as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus. A disciple follows in the footsteps of the Master. And so with Jesus as our Master, we need to follow in His footsteps and follow His example. And so the example of Jesus is not unrealistic, impractical, or impossible. Okay, let me repeat that again. The, the example of Jesus is not unrealistic, it's not impractical, it's not impossible. It is uncomfortable, yes. It is difficult, yes. It is painful, yes. It is costly, Yes, it is unnatural, yes, but it's not unrealistic, impractical, or impossible. So as the perfect man, Jesus gave us an example to strive for as human beings. He didn't give us an impossible standard to show us how incapable we are. That is the role of the, the Old Testament law. It's not 
the role of Jesus' example. Jesus showed us what was possible as a human being. He shows us what's possible for us. Now, just to sidetrack a bit, do you know who is the strongest person in the world? Do you have any idea? If, you, if I say fastest person, you probably know, lah. you say bald. If I said uh, most powerful person, you probably say Trump. <laughs> or maybe uh, Kim Jong-un. I don't know because of how he holds the world at ransom. But the strongest man in the world is this guy, uh, at least, okay, debated, lah, but um, at least based on the amount of titles that he's won. His name is, I don't think I can pronounce it properly, Zid. Zidrunas Savikas. Okay, his nickname is Big Z. Okay, so I'll call him Big Z. Uh, he's a Lithuanian strongman. Uh, and he has won every major strongman competition. So a strongman competition is where you go and show your strength. Doesn't matter whether you look fat, doesn't matter whether you look handsome, but as long as you are strong, right? And so he has won every major strongman competition. He has placed first place on a whole variety of strongman competitions, a total of 82 times. And he has placed either first, second, or third, or uh, he has placed a total of 140 times. He's still alive, lah. So his greatest uh, feat of strength in terms of, you know, the deadlift is basically lifting something up from the floor. And he was able to deadlift... 524 kg. This is eight Hummer tires. Okay, you know the Hummer? It's like that huge, uh, like an army vehicle. Okay, he's able to deadlift eight of those tires, weighing a total of 540, uh, 524 kg. That's over a thousand pounds. He was able to squat 440 kg. Okay, so strong guy, lah. Now, none of us can deny that this is possible because. It's recorded. There's a picture of it. Uh, there are videos of it. People witnessed it with their own eyes. However, in my experience, it would seem so difficult to lift that kind of weight that we won't even try. How many of you are willing to try to lift deadlift 524 kg? Uh, I tried deadlifting uh, 100 plus kg. It's like I want to die already, okay? So times, times 500 over, okay? So in our own experience, it just seems so difficult. We're not going to try. But if there was a kid who had the right genetics and he grew up training himself to lift as heavy as this big Z guy, would you say that it's impossible for this kid to eventually lift the same kind of weight? Would it be impossible? It would be difficult. It would be uncommon. Uh, he would need the right genetics and the right training plan and the right nutrition. But we won't say that it is impossible. And so that is how it is with Jesus and us. That simply through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit seals us all with the right spiritual genetics to become like Jesus Christ. And we are called to be like Jesus Christ. All of us have that potential. All of us have that opportunity. We may not get it right all the time, but it is possible. How do we know this? There's a whole list of verses uh, that I'll flash out on screen. 
you want to take a photo, now's the time, because I'm not going to go in-depth into them, uh, you can go back and check. All right? Those of you who are online, you can take a screenshot or take your camera and, and photograph your TV or whatever. Okay? So, a whole bunch of verses telling us that we uh, can follow the example of Jesus. In fact, we are called and commanded to follow the example of Jesus. It is not something unrealistic and impossible and God's just trying to trip us up by telling us to follow the example of Jesus. Our A. Tori, who is a Christian writer, he once wrote that Jesus lived, thought, worked, taught, conquered sin and won victories for God in the power of that same Spirit whom we all may have. Okay, let me repeat that. Jesus lived, he thought, he worked, he taught, he conquered sin, he won victories for God in the power of that same Spirit that we all have. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever claims to live in Him, Jesus, must live as Jesus did. And so all of us as disciples of Jesus are called to become like Jesus and live as He did. So now we've established how the example of Jesus is something that we can and we should aspire to, we can finally address the main topic of the sermon. Okay? How Jesus leaned on the Father for dependence. How He depended on the Father. Uh, three areas of dependence on the Father that Jesus models for us. And the first area is in the area of identity. Okay, identity. Jesus depended on the Father. He leaned on the Father for His identity. For those of you who have gone through Alpha before, uh, how many of you have gone through Alpha here? Or at least helped out in some capacity? I'm sure online there are a couple of you. Uh, yeah, you, you would be very familiar with Nicky Gumbel saying this. Uh, he's quoting C.S. Lewis. He would say that uh, Jesus is either a lunatic, a devil, or the Son of God that he claimed to be, right? And so, that is the, the identity of Jesus Christ. Consistently from birth to the cross, Jesus depended on God the Father for His identity as Son of God. Okay? Can you imagine if Jesus grew up depending on the people around Him for His identity? Can you imagine who Jesus would have turned out to be? If he depended on his earthly father and his earthly mother, or maybe his neighbors, uh, maybe the people of Israel, who would he have turned out to be? He would have wound up being a carpenter, right, of Nazareth. Uh, he would have grown up making uh, carpentry, uh, and that's it. Or he would have become a militant, leading a rebellion against the Roman Empire, which is what the people of Israel wanted him to be. But we know that as early as 12 years old, Jesus identified with God as his father. And so he knew that he was a child of God, son of God. So we see the father affirming this at Jesus' baptism, his transfiguration. He identifies, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And because Jesus depended on, his, on, on God the father for his identity, his mission, therefore, was to spread the good news of the kingdom 
and eventually give his life as a sacrifice for mankind. His mission was shaped by his identity of who he was. You see, identity defines who we are, what we do, and why we do it. Identity defines who we are, what we do, and why we do it. Sometime in uh, 2017, April, it was reported uh, a little girl was found in a wildlife sanctuary in India. She was living with a group of monkeys. And she didn't understand any language. She was walking on all fours. And so when the police approached her, uh, they, they found her, they tried to approach her, they tried to communicate with her. She and the monkeys around her screeched at the police. And uh, eventually they managed to, to convince her to go with them. And she was recuperating in a hospital. The, the chief medical officer observed that she would eat, she would walk like animals. She would run away upon seeing humans. And so this is not the first documented case of something like this. Uh, a South African boy was found living with monkeys in 1987. Ten years later, he, still, he, he was still walking on all fours. He had not developed any language skills. And so with only monkeys to tell them who they were, these children identified with these monkeys. They identified themselves as monkeys, and that affected their behavior. It affected how, why they behaved that way. And so who we identify as will impact our motives and our behavior. And so my question to all of us is this. Who do we depend on for our identity? Who do we depend on for our identity? To answer the question, who are we? Is it our parents? Are we defined by who they want us to be? To be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, the holy trinity of <laughs> uh, what parents want their kids to be? Uh, are we defined by our friends? Is our identity defined by our friends to be a funny person, to be a smart person, to be an attractive person, a likable person? Or are we defined by the world around us to be a rich person, to be a famous person, to be a talented person, a successful person. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a doctor. There's nothing wrong with being a, a, a likable person or being a rich person. But if we depend on the world, our parents, our friends, if we depend on others for our identity, that is who we will ever be. We will only ever be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a likable person, a rich person, an attractive person. In the larger perspective of eternity, that simply is not enough. Knowing that life does not end here on this earth, it's not enough to be a doctor or a likable person or a rich person. Now, Jesus was a carpenter, he was a wise teacher, and he was a miracle worker. But his primary identity was son of God. He related to God as his father. He taught us to do the same. In the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to pray, our father. He taught us to relate to God as a father who is personal, a father who is trustworthy, a father who is loving, a father who is worth obeying. And so we are God's children. 
If you believe in Jesus Christ, you follow Jesus as your Lord, this is your identity. You are God's child. And if we begin there with our identity, it places us on unshakable ground. And that no matter what happens to our human relationships, no matter what happens to our finances, no matter what happens, uh, no matter what happens to our social fabric in the world, life changes overnight. No matter how difficult or how hopeless things get, no matter how scary and unfamiliar things may be, nothing can take away who we are in Jesus Christ. Nothing can take away our identity as children of the living God. And that is the pinnacle of self-worth and emotional security. That is the, the, the pinnacle of identity. The security of knowing who we are, not just now for this earth, but into eternity. So that's the first area of dependence, identity. The second area that Jesus depended on the Father is the area of direction. Direction. Jesus was absolutely dependent on the Father for what direction to go, what to do, even what to say. John chapter 6, verse 38 and Luke 22, verse 42 talk about Jesus doing the Father's will instead of His own. And so what that means is that Jesus had His own will, right? He, he chose to do the Father's will instead of His own will. John chapter 12, verse 49 to 50 also tells us that Jesus only says what the Father has told Him to say. And so this is called obedience. This is called submission. So friends, who do we depend on for our direction? We live in an era of busyness. Uh, just a couple of sermons ago, I mentioned how you know, over the MCO, when we're literally trapped at home, we got nothing to do, we were still busy, right? How many of you were not busy? Tell the truth. <laughs> no, right? We, we still had things to keep ourselves busy with. But the question for us to consider amidst all our busyness is, are we busy heading in the right direction? It doesn't matter how fast we are going if we are heading the wrong way, or worse, we are being blown about by our desires or circumstances, and we are busy going nowhere, or we are busy going the wrong place. Are we headed in the right direction? Jesus depended on the Father for direction. He was laser-focused on the Father's purpose for His life. He knew exactly what to do, what to say, how to do it. And so how about us? In our, all our busyness, in all our desperation to quickly go somewhere, where are we going? Where are we headed? Who's in the driver's seat of our lives? Who designed the tracks that our train is heading on? Now remember, eternal life with Jesus doesn't only begin after we die. It begins the moment you put your faith in Him and you said, I relinquish my past sins, the ways of this world, I want to follow you. And it stretches into eternity. And so eternal life starts now. 
direction matters now. Let's move on to the third area of dependence. Jesus looked to the Father to supply all his needs, to provide and to supply all his needs. We know that Jesus even depended on the Word of God instead of turning stones into bread to satisfy his physical hunger, one of the temptations in the wilderness. In Luke 22, 43, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus needed to be strengthened by God in his anguish of anticipating what was to come. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 tells us that the, the Father anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power in order to do good and perform healing. And Jesus also taught his disciples in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, not to worry about their lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Trust God to provide for all their needs, physical needs or otherwise. And the Lord's Prayer was a model prayer for us. And that prayer includes trusting God for our daily needs. And so, who do we depend on for our needs? All of us have needs. Many of them are good needs. God designed needs. If I drink a lot of water, I need to go to the bathroom. That is a good need, okay, to, to uh, let my body do its function the way God created it. And so our needs, many of them are good. The need for food, water, shelter, relationships, strength, healing, uh, so on. But if we pursue all these needs without depending on God to provide, then we risk going about these needs the wrong way. And that is the root of many great tragedies. Going about good and valid needs, but the wrong way. Ishmael is the product of such an example. Abram, dependent on God for direction, yes, leave his homeland, become a great nation, many offspring, but he didn't depend on God to provide. Instead, he depended on his wife's wisdom to fulfill God's promise through Hagar, her handmaiden. And so this eventually became a source of grief to his family and beyond. We know that it was not God's will to uh, fulfill his blessings through Ishmael, but instead through Isaac. And so the end never justifies the means. It's not just the direction that's important. The journey matters as well. It doesn't just matter where we end up. How we get there is important. And so it's an easy thing, especially in our current circumstances. It's easy to say we trust God to provide financially uh, when business is good. If things were not like this now, it's easy to trust God financially when the bank balance is comfortable. But who do we depend on when our situation gets desperate? When a pandemic causes your business, or for many people in the world right now, when the pandemic causes your entire industry that you have been trained in and spent so much uh, time studying and, and thinking money and all that, when the pandemic causes your entire industry to have zero income for months on end, who do you depend on? You know how when there's chaos and instability in a country, looting takes place, 
So when there's protests uh, and there's uh, dissatisfaction with how the government is running things or whatever, or when there's a natural disaster, and you know, when chaos happens in a country and order is thrown out the window, looting happens. And so looting is basically ordinary people going to the stores, taking what they want without paying for it. And ordinary people become uh, breaking and entering thieves, essentially. That's what it is. And so I'm sure that for some or even many of those who take part in, this, in these lootings that happen, they have valid needs. They have hungry children. I'm not going to pronounce judgment on that. Uh, probably way more difficult than I can uh, imagine to make such choices when your family is starving and depending on you. But something to reflect on. What would we resort to doing when we get desperate? Would we resort to doing something that we ordinarily wouldn't do? Will we allow ourselves to cut corners here and there to fudge on our income or our claimable expenses when we do our taxes, for example? Or will we start trusting in things like feng shui in desperate hopes to improve our situation? You know, you just shift something here, move a little bit there, uh, change the date here. It's not hurting anybody, you know. Who knows? It may make a difference. Do we start trusting in these things? The choices that we make in desperate circumstances shows us how dependent we are on God. How about in the area of relationships? When, especially for those who are in their late 20s, 30s, uh, 40s, when people around us starts to you know, get into relationships, they seem to be finding someone, uh, everyone around you is married, you are bridesmaid or you are, you are the, the heng tai for this person, that person, this person, that person, until your entire circle of friends are all married except for you. Uh, do you still trust God to provide the right person instead of trying to take matters into your own hands and date somebody with drastically different faith, different values? How about the area of healing? When medicine and prayer doesn't seem to help, when someone that you dearly love is sick and slipping away, you try to mis mix other superstitions or practices that are not compatible with our Christian beliefs to try to heal your loved ones or yourself. The choices that we make in desperate circumstances show us how dependent we are on God. And so in conclusion, Jesus' dependence on the Father, how he leaned on the Father for his identity, his direction, and his needs, is a model for us to follow. And the key to coming to that point of dependence is faith in God. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us having faith is having confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we do not yet see. And so it is impossible to Lean on God if you don't have faith in Him. I think Pastor Ronald showed that illustration of the chair, right? You can believe that the chair exists. You can intellectually have faith in it until you actually sit in it. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't test out that faith. And so 
you need to have faith in God in order to depend on Him. How do we build up this faith? Okay, so the next question. How do we build up our faith in God? Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Okay, so that's one key. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. James chapter 2, verse 17 tells us that faith without works is dead. Okay, so another clue. And so essentially what these two verses tell us about building up our faith is two things that we can do, not the only two things, but two things that we can do. Know the Word, know what God says, understand it, study it, know it. And the second thing is obey it, do it. Don't just study about it, don't just talk about it actually challenge yourself to follow it. And so these are things that are also critical in building our relationship with God, knowing the Word and obeying it. And so friends, I would like you to know that we can follow the perfect example of Jesus. It's not an impossible thing. You can look at it, you can look at Jesus as an impossible standard or you can look at Him as an inspiration to encourage you. So friends, I challenge you, look at Jesus as somebody who showed you what was possible for you. I'd like you to be dependent on God for your identity, your direction and needs. To become like Jesus, we need to depend on the Father like Jesus did. And I'd like you to do build up your faith in the Lord. Know the Word, do what it says. May we be challenged and encouraged to depend on the Father like Jesus did. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. At this time, we want to uh, bring our reflection and discussion questions, uh, some questions for us to reflect on over the week and to discuss. Firstly, I think this is a previous one. Okay, never mind. Let me read for you. The first question, what are some benefits of depending on God that you can think of? Okay. What are some benefits of depending on God that you can think of? Secondly, given these benefits, why is it so difficult to fully depend on God for our identity, direction, and needs? Given these benefits... Why is it so difficult to fully depend on God for identity, direction, and needs? And thirdly, how can the example of Jesus help you to overcome these difficulties? How can the example of Jesus help you to overcome some of these difficulties? I'll take these questions and I'll post it in the, uh, the group for the small group leaders. So if you're looking for these questions, go find your small group leader. Okay? Uh, I leave these questions with you.